out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello, happy Friday night. It's, uh, we're doing this again, willful blindness. Chapter four was kind of put in the tank. I don't know what happened technically yesterday, but we had a backup plan. There is a link in the link section. If you go to the um, area where the little box says the unsanctioned citizen and you hit the Okay, that's the show description. Um, we're there right now. There's two dots. If you move the dots, then you can see the links. So that's how it that's how it's supposed to be. So if you go there, you can see the link to the entire reading that was conducted. It was only about 22, 23 minutes, but it was a very important chapter because we were covering Hong Kong. And Hong Kong actually has a huge, rich, lurid history with um, drug trafficking and the entire opium wars that were conducted in the 1800s. So it's been going on a long time. So all of that energy um, got ported to Vancouver, and then Vancouver became just this huge thread freeway for first opium drugs and then chemical chemical drugs like fentanyl. So we're bringing it to chapter five tonight. And that's the triads, which is the golden triad. They're entering Canada. So without further ado, we're reading more from Sam Cooper's Willful Blindness. How a network of narcos, tycoons, and CCP agents infiltrated the West. Chapter 5, Triads Entering Canada. Dawson told me all of these questions swirling around Gordon Fu and Tien occurred while Fu and his brother were under investigation for allegedly offering $50,000 cash apiece to two senior Canadian immigration officials. By the end of 1991, Brian McAdam had seen enough. A woman from Hong Kong who wanted to immigrate to BC had called McAdam making serious allegations. She said two women in the commission had offered to move her to the front of the line for Canadian visas if she paid them each $10,000 cash. So McAdam put the two Hong Kong staffers under surveillance. The probe netted an accomplice. Two women and the wife of a Canadian official were tracked to a Hong Kong bank and observed depositing large amounts of cash. McAdam's internal investigation also found that fake Canadian visa stamps were hidden in the desk of a fourth employee in the commission, and there were troubling signs that someone in the commission was working to fast-track Canadian visas for a giant immigration investment consulting firm in Taiwan run by a man named Gordon Fu. As the suspicions mounted, McAdam and Clement finally discovered direct evidence of a stunning national security breach. Somehow, the Hong Kong triads had hacked into the Canadian Commission's computer network. 
The network incursion would lead gangsters to see sensitive Canadian intelligence records and enable them to delete red flags in Immigration Canada's organized crime watch list. This would allow triad thugs to migrate into Canada undetected. So McAdam and Clement filed a report requesting a criminal investigation to RCMP headquarters in Ottawa. McAdam believed that there was concrete evidence to prove serious negligence, at least, and likely serious competition in Canada's Hong Kong mission. But there was something strange in Hong Kong that was possible, sorry, possibly worse than a network hack. McAdam had told Clement he suspected inappropriate connections between some Hong Kong tycoons and some elite Canadian bureaucrats and politicians. Clement and McAdam boiled down to what they'd learned and agreed on the core intelligence. A group of Hong Kong applicants for Canadian immigrant visas were among the world's most ruthless criminals. It was the duty of commission officials to stop these triad bosses from importing violence and corruption to Canada. But the problem was that gang bosses often didn't have criminal records. They were insulated by thousands of subordinates and decades of money laundering. So McAdam and Clement came up with a solution. They decided to write triad intelligence manuals to help Canadian officials profile and identify triad associates seeking to immigrate to Canada and invest massive sums in Vancouver and Toronto real estate. One of Clement's first intelligence cables to Ottawa put it like this. Cheng Yutung, through the Sociedad de Turismo Diverosos de Macau, is in <laughs> direct partnership with Stanley Ho, Yip Hon, Folk Ying Tung. Within the enforcement community, there were many allegations relative to Stanley Ho and his partners in connection to the Societe de Turismo et Diversos de Macau. I'm just going to say Macau from now on. Uh, most of these allegations pertain to the um, control exercised by this group over the gambling industry in Macau, and more to the point, their frequent association with well-documented triad office bearers. Clement warned his RCMP bosses that some of his sources suspected Cheng Yutong's development company was one of the legitimate corporations for commingling of illegal assets. And Hong Kong police intel and confirmed that Cheng's real estate conglomerate hosted meeting for some of the world's biggest gangsters. New World is frequently the venue for meetings involving well-known triad figures. One such meeting was the United States World Chinese Associated, headed by Cheng Men Kai, which was attended by many well-documented triad personalities from around the world. In addition, New World is the venue of choice for Stanley Ho. Clement would send almost two books worth of similar intelligence reports to Ottawa, and McAdam wrote even more. But the reports were buried by Canada's government until an unorthodox investigative reporter from Southeast Asia traveled to Ottawa and came across Brian McAdams' explosive dossier. Dot, dot, dot. When I arrived in the Vancouver province newsroom in 2009, Fabian Dawson was something of a legend. He had migrated to Canada from Malaysia in the 1980s and scrapped his way into the business with shoe leather reporting skills that were rapidly becoming a thing of the past 
and modern newsrooms. And he succeeded. As he would tell me over the loggers and the Lions Pub, near the province's downtown office at a time when few Asian reporters were hired in Canada. To call Dawson old school would be an understatement. He hated to sit at his desk to look and to look at a computer. He was more like an intelligence officer, and he got his scoops by spending late nights talking to cops and underworld sources in gritty Vancouver bars. He was known to disappear from the province newsroom for weeks, chasing down leads in exotic countries. He scored terrific stories with his uncanny capacity to get businessmen with ambiguous backgrounds chatting freely with him. The classic example was Dawson's 2009 interview of David Kwok Ho, the billionaire scion of a Hong Kong tobacco dynasty. Ho moved to Vancouver in the 1980s and immediately bought a golf course, a shipping company, a Rolls-Royce dealership, and copious amounts of real estate. He also forged connections with BC governments by making big donations and even landed a spot on Vancouver's police board. That was before his crack-smoking and abuse-of-drug-addicted prostitutes was exposed in 2008. Oh, no. Ho was charged for unlawfully confining a woman at his Vancouver mansion and possessing an unregistered Glock semi-automatic pistol. But he told Dawson that his crack-fueled sex parties with impoverished prostitutes occurred because of his humanitarian trips to the heroin-scarred downtown east side. I'm addicted to helping them, Ho was quoting, saying in Dawson's 2009 Vancouver province scoop. It's worse when it rains. That's when I get, get into the car and go looking for them. As a rookie reporter at the province, I was running into roadblocks on a story. Editors would tell me to go see Fabian. Usually, the issue would be finding good sources. That's a big challenge for young reporters. I remember that I would explain my case to Fabian while he leaned back with his arms crossed, blank-faced, giving the impression that he'd much rather be somewhere else. He would periodically mutter a question and offer a few comments, and then he would break into a grin and abruptly rattle off about 10 names and phone numbers. In Vancouver in the 1990s, because of Dawson's international sources and understanding of politics and business in Asia, he was the first to grasp the scale of real estate money laundering in Canada. Dawson took the Five Dragons scandal to the next level when he obtained a covert study from BC Coordinated Law Enforcement Unit, CLEU, Asian Organized Crime Division. He reported that one of the Five Dragons, Hong Kwing Shum, had bought at least 11 residential and commercial properties in Vancouver's wealthiest neighborhoods. The study showed that up to 44 dirty Hong Kong cops had followed the Five Dragons to Canada, using their children and concubines to make major real estate investments in, the, in Vancouver and Toronto. CLEU believed that these heroin trafficking cops brought blocks worth of prime property in Vancouver. It's not exactly understood how much influence or power these former police officials possess regarding human Chinese criminal activities in North America. Dawson was quoted from the CLEU study, but because of past ties, former influence, possible triad connections and money illegally obtained, they definitely could influence Chinese criminal patterns as we know them today. As Dawson continued to probe Asian organized crime 
He traveled east to Ottawa to meet with contacts from the Criminal Intelligence Services of Canada. Everyone told Dawson about McAdam and his dossier. They said McAdam's career had ended when he was recalled from Hong Kong to Ottawa in 1993. Some in the Criminal Intelligence Service told Dawson that they thought McAdam had pointed to powerful figures in Canada without adequate evidence, but other believed McAdam's dossier contained solid reports that made him a target for people with lots to lose. Dawson decided to look up McAdam, and they agreed to meet in Dawson's hotel near Parliament Hill. As McAdam told his story, Dawson flipped through the Hong Kong, cha- uh, Hong Kong dossier. The writing was packed with details and sourcing. Right away, Dawson understood it was probably too much for the average Ottawa bureaucrat to digest, let alone believe. But for an investigative reporter who understood corruption in Southeast Asia, the material was plausible. Here were the names of the Hong Kong juggernauts that had purchased about 20% of Vancouver's prime real estate during the 1980s in blockbuster transaction, including the Expo's 86 land deal. Dawson recognized a handful of bombshell stories in the dossier. He saw the names of top Canadian consular officials and staff, Hong Kong legislative assembly leaders, Canadian politicians, and alleged Chinese spies. He saw a shady Taiwanese immigration consulting business funneling incredible amounts of money into Quebec's immigration program and directly into the writing of Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. And McAdams' dossier crossed over with names that Dawson recognized from his own files. So he flew back to Vancouver with the dossier and started to track down the Canadian diplomats and RCMP officers cited as sources in McAdams' work. And in 1999, he, break, he began to break major stories that suggested a cover-up in Ottawa. Da, da, da. Dawson reported that RCMP Corporal Robert Reed had been tasked with the investigation of McAdams' allegations that staff in the Canadian embassy had received bribes. Some of the allegations related to 30 Canadian officials who had accepted gambling cash from tycoons McAdam believed were triad figures. Dawson reported the RCMP was preparing criminal charges, but in 1998, 1999, RCMP brass abruptly decided to abandon the bribery probe. Why? Reed had been so disappointed with the decision that he leaked several records to Dawson. Dawson reported the, that the names of the Canadian officials who had faced criminal charges in the abandoned probe have been ordered to be kept secret, but these people have gone on to become senior government officials after only minor reprimands. But after Dawson broke Reed's whistleblower stories, the RCMP fired Reed, and this led to an RCMP tribunal hearing in Ottawa. Dawson covered the hearing and learned a second RCMP officer assigned to review Reed's immigration fraud probe in Hong Kong was shocked beyond belief that Immigration Canada had tried to bury Reed's investigation. An RCMP memo revealed that an RCMP liaison officer in Hong Kong had warned his superiors that Canada's ambassador would be screaming at the highest political levels if the RCMP continued investigating McAdam and Reed's bribery allegations. Dawson reported 
the Royal Canadian Mounted Police External Review Committee found that the RCMP had dropped Reed's politically sensitive probe because it didn't want to anger the Canadian Department of Foreign Affairs. What is that issue? Was a deliberate choice made by the RCMP not to pursue an investigation into possible criminal wrongdoing, the review found, even though numerous examples had been drawn to the RCMP's attention of incidents that suggested that an immigration fraud ring was operating within the commission and possibly involved employees of the government of Canada. Da, da, da. Looking back, almost 20 years after he dissected the McAdam and Raid files, Fabian Dawson told me he could draw several key inferences. First, the names disclosed in McAdam's files included some of the most powerful men in China, Hong Kong, and Canada. Dawson told me he firmly believes too much money and power was involved in McAdam's files and Robert Reed's criminal probe. That's why the RCMP couldn't follow the Hong Kong probe to its logical conclusions. So Dawson did what the media is supposed to do in such circumstances. He published key documents and names from the reports filed to Ottawa in the early 1990s by McAdam and Clement. It was these intelligence reports that would ultimately trigger a, a secret RCMP and CSIS study, codenamed Sidewinder, that alleged triads and tycoons and Chinese intelligence operatives had corrupted China's institutions and markets, or sorry, Canada's institutions and markets. I obtained a copy of one of these reports called Triads Entering Canada. It was a powerful national security warning that should have put Ottawa unnoticed. We have identified a sample of 16 crime figures that are among the world's most ruthless, vicious criminals who have sought or are seeking admission to Canada, the report said. In order to highlight the threat that the triad societies, whose members form close-knit criminal organizations many times larger and more powerful than the mafia, pose the security to the security of the Canadian society. In Dawson's media reports for the province and Asian Pacific Post, McAdams' files to Ottawa were broadly called the Hong Kong probe. Dawson reported the probe focused on Hong Kong's wealthiest tycoons, Li Ka Shing, Stanley Ho, and Chang Yu Tung. One probe document cited Dawson. Hong Kong police investigators had requested assistance from Canada to investigate Li Ka Shing's growing acquisitions of Canadian real estate and corporate assets but the commission had refused to cooperate. Dawson also reported a memo filed by Gary Clement that warned Stanley Ho and Chang Yutung were frequent guests at the Canadian Commission. In Hong Kong, it's a way of life for the legitimate Hong Kong society and this triads to ingratiate themselves with charitable organizations, foreign missions, and government officials, the memo said. Stanley Ho and Chen Yutung are known to be associated with many documented triads, and they have been major Canadian investors. And Dawson's report identified Hong Kong probe targets Albert Young and movie mogul Charles Hyung. Both, both have been named in the U.S. and Canadian government records as alleged leaders of Sun Yi On, 
one of the world's largest heroin trafficking syndicates. The Hong Kong probe documents also detailed several instances of triad figures approaching Canadian leaders. In the 1990s, BC NDP Premier Mike Harcourt was hosted by a known triad associate, Henry Falk, whose son was arrested in the United States for arms smuggling, Dawson reported. Another example was when Vancouver Mayor Gordon Campbell, who later became BC Liberal Premier, met with the son of a Hong Kong politician who was identified as Senior Sun Yi Ong Gangster. And in another case, probe documents allege that Ottawa had refused to assist Hong Kong police in the fraud investigation of Imperial Consultants, a Taiwanese firm owned by tycoon Gordon Fu. Fu was a significant player in Quebec's immigration investment programs, and Fu was connected in Canadian media reports to a proposal for investment in a money-losing hotel in, the, in Quebec, the writing of Seanigan. Seanigan? Sha, <laughs> I'm struggling. Okay. Seanigan. Okay. Best effort. This was Prime Minister uh, Tretien's writing, and Tretien had a business interest in the hotel. Gordon Fu's entree to the Prime Minister's office came through Montreal-based Levesque Babienne Geoffrion, which was one of the largest Quebec-based investment firms dealing with business immigration. McLean's reported in a piece called The Citizenship on Sale. Fu took the highly unusual step of personally handing Tretien a letter asking that Prime Minister speed up his application for permanent residency in Canada. Tretien's political opponents continued to ask questions about his efforts in 1996 and 1997 to secure Canadian government business loans for the Quebec Hotel. This was around the time that when he and Gordon Fu discussed investing in the Shawinigan Hotel, but in 2001, Tretien defended himself in parliamentary debates saying, I never had any conflict of interest. Dawson told me all of these questions swirling around Gordon Fu and Shritian's occurred while Fu and his brother were under investigation for allegedly offering $50,000 cash apiece to two senior Canadian immigration officials who were looking into Gordon Fu's immigration investment fund in Quebec. But the RCMP dropped the bribery allegations against the Fu brothers Dawson told me he believes the food case was too politically sensitive to proceed. But in hindsight, the questions raised by McAdams' Hong Kong probe turned out to be accurate. The stench of fraud surrounding immigration investment programs caused Canada's program to be cancelled in 2014 and Quebec's program to be suspended in 2020. But there was one unresolved case in McAdams' dossier that I think highlights the extreme dangers to Canada's national security. It is the case of Lawrence Leung, the former immigration chief in Hong Kong. In the early 1990s, the RCMP looked into allegations that Leung was an agent of the People's Republic of China. He was suspected of using his status with the Canadian Commission to facilitate immigration into Canada for Chinese spies and tycoons with triad connections. McAdams' dossier says that the two Immigration Canada officers were sent to Hong Kong to determine whether Leung was an agent of China's intelligence services. 
the Canada the Canadians tracked Leung to a lunch meeting with the Triad boss. At the time, Britain was also probing allegations that Leung was working with Beijing to share sensitive information about Hong Kong citizens seeking to migrate to the United Kingdom. Leung abruptly resigned from his job in July of 1996 under a cloud of suspicion. But his family had already migrated to Vancouver with deadly consequences. In 1993, Leung's 22-year-old daughter, Sylvia, an aspiring entertainer, was murdered with an arrow fired from a crossbow. She was walking from a class at the BC Institute of Technology in Burnaby. She approached her parked car but struggled with the door while the shooter took aim. Police found the door handle had been glued shut. And before the murder, her family in Vancouver had been targeted in a number of firebombing attacks. It all had the marks of triad warnings. McAdams dossier had linked Lawrence Leung to several elite triad figures and a tycoon involved in a Chinese state operation corporations that were cited for shipping weapons to Iran. So Ottawa immigration officials had all this information. But somehow, Leung was allowed to immigrate to Canada in a process that circumvented normal immigration rules, the Independent reported in July of 1997. So why would a, a suspected Chinese agent be allowed to immigrate to Canada? Someone in Ottawa must be able to answer that question, but Canadian immigration officials have stonewalled my legal application seeking records from Leung's file, dot, dot, dot. Brian McAdam and Robert Reed were not the only Canadians who believed Otto was covering up corruption in Hong Kong. Project Sidewinder, the, the confidential RCMP CSIS investigation triggered by McAdam's reporting from Hong Kong was completed in 1997. Sidewinder concluded that Canada faced a growing national security threat of economic infil infiltration driven by a network of allies from the Chinese Communist Party, triads, and Hong Kong tycoons, all working together with Chinese intelligence services. And there was a shocking thesis ahead of the conversion of Hong Kong from British rule that the CCP had forged a truce with the triads in order to secure Hong Kong's stability. On May 23, 1982, Xiaoping Dang met with Li Keqing and, and Henry Falk in Beijing. Sidewinder says, they bartered on the future of Hong Kong and China. Hong Kong would soon be under CCP control. And Dang asked for cooperation and business advice from the Hong Kong tycoons. He wanted to smoothly adjust China's economy to capitalism. In return, Beijing would give the tycoons privileged access to China's markets. Two years later, Dang publicly stated that not all triads are bad and many of the secret societies are patriotic. Whoa, that's tough for me to swallow. <laughs> Woo. Uh, two years later, Deng publicly stated that not all triads are bad and many of the secret societies are patriotic. Gary Clement told me he firmly believes that Li Kia Xing and Henry Falk were influential in Deng's state statement. Mm. Tough one. But the Dark Alliance didn't flow organically from Deng's public support for triads, Sidewinder says that throughout the 1980s, Western intelligence agencies recognized increasing activities in Hong Kong from one of China's foreign intelligence arms, the United Front Work Department. 
United Front agents were responsible for fostering business ties between the CCP and triads. Bonds were forged with United Front shell companies that enabled triad leaders to run businesses in mainland China with elite military and revolutionary families. As early as 1992, Western intelligence services knew that Wang Man Fong, a formerly formerly head of a new China news agency, was instructed to inform the triad bosses that if they agreed not to jeopardize the transition process and the normal business in Hong Kong, Beijing would assure them that they will be allowed to pursue their illegal activities without interference, Sidewinder said. The Sun Yi-on did especially well, according to triad intelligence reports that I dug up in Canadian federal court files. They set up a nightclub in Beijing with Deng's public security bureau chief, Tao Siju, and also ran a number of similar clubs in Shanghai in partnership with People's Liberation Army officers. The allegations are shocking, but several media and academic reports have corroborated the secret deals between, the, between Beijing and the triad bosses. Notably, in his July 1997 piece, Partners in Crime, U.S. author Frederick Dannon cited his interview with alleged Sun Yi-on boss, Albert Young. One of the key figures cited in McAdams' 1990 dossier. According to Dannon, Albert Yim and Chinese officials partnered in many mainland China business businesses after the Tiananmen Square massacre of June 4th of 1989. China is in very bad shape. Nobody wanted to be their friend, but we go there, one of the big tycoons from Hong Kong, and start to make friends with top people and invest money there. Albert Yim is quoted in this piece, and they appreciate this. And in his 2020, or sorry, 2010 study, Beyond Social Capital, Hong Kong criminologist Ti Wing Lo reiterated Sidewinder's finding on business ties between the Chinese Communist Party and Hong Kong triads. Lo's most fascinating case study focused on the 1993 grand opening of an entertainment business in Hong Kong. The company was run by film producers Charles and Jimmy Hyung, alleged to be elite Sunni on officers. And the guest of honor was the governor of Guangdong, Ye Xuanping. Lo's study included a photo of Ye standing with the Hyung brothers, and he argued that in China's system, this photograph essentially gave Sunni on license to do business in mainland China. To understand Lo's argument, you have to understand Ye's place in China's power structure. The Yi's are one of the most powerful Red Army princeling clans, controlling vast military and industrial conglomerates, and they are known to be backers of Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Dot, dot, dot. <clears throat> the Sidewinder report also dealt with the former Hong Kong immigration boss, Lawrence Leung. Even before Hong Kong's official return to the communist, it was established by several Western agencies that their national immigration systems had been affected by illegal Chinese intelligence service and triad interference, a Sidewinder file said. Lawrence Leung Min Yang, a former director of the Hong Kong Immigration Service, is still under investigation after he had to resign under the pressure of allegations of corruption and illegally disclosing confidential information about residents 
of the peninsula. The Sidewinder report called for a more intensive study of China's infiltration of Canadian institutions. And the first report would have remained classified if Ottawa had taken it seriously, but the draft was buried and then leaked to Canadian media. Critics jumped on a few flaws in the report, which was years ahead of its time and incredible in every sense of the word. It came out much too early, one Canadian intelligence source familiar with Sidewinder's authors told me. But I also took away from Sidewinder that yes, China is very active in Canada and there is very little light between Chinese organized crime and the Chinese Communist Party. But Sidewinder's core allegations looked more prescient year after year. The Lawrence Leung case is a great example. He eventually died in 2008 and Hong Kong's government continued to deny the allegations surrounding him. But in 2019, the South China Morning Post obtained declassified Hong Kong Independent Commission Against Corruption reports. Leung was forced to step down in 1997 when corruption investigators proved his ties to at least two triad bosses. The document said, I have to pause and let in Sophie, my control room partner. The record showed an integrity probe in 1993 had discovered a Hong Kong immigration tribunal judge had wired Hong Kong $750,000 to Leung from an offshore company jointly owned by Leung and the immigration judge. And the offshore company was linked to a Chinese heroin trafficking syndicate. It struck me that 1993 was the same year that Leung's daughter was murdered in Vancouver. Perhaps a warning that Leung had better keep his mouth shut? Leung showed a reluctance to initially name a person known to be involved in organized crime in Hong Kong and overseas, whom he admitted to being a close friend whose, whose two sons Leung nominated for membership of a local institution, the records obtained by South China Morning Post say. This person is documented as being widely and actively involved in organized crime. The files also show Leung had a full membership in the Hong Kong Jockey Club. And it occurred to me that, according to McAdams' dossier, this was the playground where triads and tycoons sought to influence Canadian immigration officials. Dot, dot, dot. Gary Clement fared better than Robert Reed and Brian McAdam after returning from Hong Kong. He became one of the RCMP's top experts on money laundering and financial crimes. But in retirement, he sometimes reads his Hong Kong files and shakes his head. He used to believe no one is above the law, not after Hong Kong. I had a ton of intel, and I shared almost two books with Ottawa, Clement told me. We could file affidavits based on that intelligence and stop people from going into Canada. Politics won the day, though. Brian McAdam still has his files on the tycoons and the triads. And he is still in contact with former colleagues from CSIS and the RCMP. McAdam's files and hierarchy charts indicate that the Sun Yi'an's triad elderly leader is a name that could shock global banking communities. But this type of information will almost certainly never be proven in court. McCadden has struggled with his health issues related to his ruined career in Canada's government, 
but he continues to follow my investigations into money laundering in Canada's real estate and casino industries. He says that the transnational narcotics cartels laundering money in Canada are executing the same playbook that he spelled out for Ottawa in about 30 reports from Hong Kong. I obtained an unofficial report that McAdam wrote in 2018 in which he explains the sourcing and verification behind his commission files and questions who in Ottawa is ultimately responsible for ignoring his dire warnings. The files were compiled from Western intelligence agencies, national security experts in the missions of Western allies in Hong Kong, the Royal Hong Kong Triad Bureau, the Hong Kong Independent Commission Against Corruption, and the Royal Hong Kong Drug Squad, McAdams 2018 report says. We try to convey to others that the Chinese intelligence working in conjunction with the triads made unrelenting, determined efforts to suborn foreign diplomats using money and sex as entrapments, McAdam wrote in 2018. No one wanted to listen to Gary Clement nor myself when we made it very well known that the Macau casinos, where many staff took trips paid for by triad leaders, were owned by triads and persons who were agents of the communist Chinese government. In his 2018 report, McAdam questioned the fate of a specific 1990s report, triads and other Asian organized crime groups that he filed from Hong Kong so that Canadian border officials could block immigration applications from triad bosses. We discovered among the files a number were triad leaders with many thousands of followers involving in credit card fraud, criminal intimidation, extortion, wounding, blackmail, prostitution, gambling, and money laundering, McAdam wrote in his 2018 report. Gary Clemen managed to save or managed to have over 8,000 copies of the triad guide sent to the RCMP and widely distributed, but Canadian name officially redacted, alleged arranged that it would never be circulated in foreign affairs, immigration, or to Canada's security and intelligence service by having it destroyed. McAdams' 2018 report concludes that by pointing to one of the 30 Canadian officials that reportedly avoided charges in Robert Reed's RCMP probe and rapidly ascended to some of Ottawa's most influential positions, ultimately advising prime ministers on foreign affairs, trade, and national security. If Canadian official name redacted did destroy these reports, he did contribute to the triad and Chinese communist invasion of Canada, knowing, knowingly withholding, and allegedly destroying extremely critical intelligence information intended to ensure persons inadmissible under the Canadian Immigration Act would be refused admission to Canada? For my investigation into the Vancouver model, this question can't be ignored. Brian McAdams' unofficial 2018 report is about a cold case. It points to decades of corruption in Ottawa, and the information should be part of a national inquiry into fentanyl trafficking, real estate money laundering, and Chinese foreign influence operations in Canada. And that is the end of Chapter 5. So it is very, very, very illuminating to understand through this tome that Canada is willfully facilitating the Chinese Communist Party 
by transitive of these triads. They are enablers. They are enablers in the, the fentanyl trade. And they have created a huge soft target in Seattle, San Francisco, and anywhere else where these, you know, they're basically the same. CCP and the Golden Triangle Triads. They're the same. They're the same. So I don't want anyone to leave this, this room tonight without really understanding that we just read lots of intelligence that was deliberately suppressed for political reasons so that they could have drug business in America. In the Americas. Mexico with the fentanyl. Canada to launder the money. And the United States to get, get the consumer base. So... Uh, we are being eaten alive with fentanyl death. And this is why. It is part of the reason why. It's not the only reason why, but it is why. So don't leave this room tonight and not understand the reasons why this is happening. The stuff going on at the southern border in Mexico is directly connected to the stuff going on in Canada. Because... Suppliers be supplying from CCP. That is CCP chemical fentanyl. Okay? It's not like, oh, those are criminals over there. No, that's just CCP. Just understand it. All right. This has been the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. We will return on Monday at 7.20 to read more uh, from Willful Blindness. Chapter 6, Project Fallout. This has been tremendous. I am so glad you came to listen. We'll see you next time. Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean.